Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. It is real easy to get lost in the narrative. Most, if not all of us, could retell the narrative as we recognize how Jonah, called by God to go to Nineveh, refused to go. God got his attention. Jonah went to Nineveh and then complained about it. But as we look at the narrative, it really is a struggle, a struggle that you and I have, a struggle of God's will versus our will. When God works in our lives and directs us to do something, whatever that is, how do we respond? Is there a struggle that takes place? If you're like I am, there is. And we must recognize that this struggle is a struggle between an almighty sovereign God and his children who are fail, frail, and human. Verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Very clear that God was speaking to someone specific, Jonah. Very clear that God had an assignment for Jonah. Very clear that God wanted Jonah to fulfill his purpose through Jonah's life. Now I want to stop right here and ask you, when was the last time the word of the Lord came to you? When was the last time in your life you would say, I got a word from God? I would trust it was the last time you were in the Bible. Maybe for your devotions. Maybe for some encouragement. Maybe for some direction. And I would hope that none of us in this worship center this morning would say we've never heard from God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to and put your name in that blank. Verse 3, but Jonah, but Jonah rose up to flee. He didn't like the assignment God had given to him. He didn't appreciate the place of God's, God's direction. He, he didn't want to do what God wanted. But Jonah rose up to flee. We looked at that last week because Jonah was literally going to the ends of the earth to try to get away from where God told him to go. He's going in the opposite direction. Verse 4, but the Lord, I want you to underline that in your Bibles, will you please? But the Lord, God was not willing to let Jonah escape. God was not willing to allow Jonah to determine the outcome of God's purpose. But the Lord, and we'll talk about this this morning, how God works to get our attention. But the Lord. And then I want you to look down in the middle of verse 5. But Jonah. 
Do you notice the sequence here? Now the word of the Lord came, but Jonah. But God, but Jonah. And so we have this conflict that's taking place. Conflict that you and I struggle with. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Question. How in the world was Jonah able to go down and go to sleep? Have you thought about that? You ever been on a boat in rough seas? Connie and I have taken one cruise in our life. It was a cruise back from Alaska. Entered passage. Now, Connie struggles with car sickness, seasickness, with motion sickness. And there was a day that the seas were just a little bit rough. And so we had to go to the bottom of the boat, the middle of the boat, to get away from as much rocking as possible, and it still didn't do it. Jonah was not on a cruise liner. There wasn't a place where you and I could have gone to get comfortable. But Jonah went down to the bottom of the sleep, bottom of the ship and went to sleep. Think about that in your mind. Can I give you some possible answers to that question? Answer number 1 is this. You see, in our lives, the longer you wait, the easier it is to get comfortable. The longer you wait to fulfill the word of the Lord in your life, the easier it is to get comfortable. When God tells you what to do, you'd better do it, period. And the further you get away from the word of the Lord, the easier it is to get comfortable in your life. Have any of you heard the word of the Lord, said, okay, I'll take care of that later, walked away, got real comfortable in your everyday lives, and forgot all about it and never did anything, went to sleep? There's a second possible explanation, and it's this. Without immediate consequence, it's real easy to get complacent. If God, when Jonah rose up to flee, had taken a buck of water and gone, perhaps Jonah would have said, okay, Lord. Without immediate consequence, it's easy to get complacent. I kind of wish that God would use more immediate consequences in my life. But without immediate consequence, it's real easy to get complacent, folks. 
Jonah was able to go down and get fall asleep. There's a third possible answer to this question, and that's this. Maybe God will get somebody else to do it. I've said no. No longer on my plate. I'm not going to commit to that. So God will just get somebody else to do it. You ever been offered an assignment and thought, nah, there's other people who can do that. I don't have to. How committed are we to fulfilling the word of the Lord in our lives? How many times do we understand what God wants us to do and then step away from that because we're just real sure that God will get somebody else to do it? Jonah went down into the bottom of the ship and fell asleep. But God hurled a great wind. How many times does God step into history? or into even our lives and get our attention. He wants to accomplish his good and his perfection and complete his will. And God stepped into Jonah's life. Now, certainly, and we know the narrative, when Jonah ended up in the fish, that got God's attention. In the fish, Jonah awakens to the reality that God has stepped in. Let me tell you something. God will always step in. God steps into the narrative, the story of our lives. And he's always done that. May I just very quickly remind you of a number of ways that God stepped in? Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. God stepped into a world that was wicked beyond description. Noah preached for 120 years building an ark. And God was stepping into human history. In Exodus chapter 3, God steps into, no, into Moses' life with a burning bush. In Exodus chapter 7, God steps into Moses' life again with some great miracles and the plagues that followed to get Pharaoh's attention. In the book of Daniel, God steps into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life and Daniel's life in the, in the lion's den. God steps in. Have you thought about how he stepped in in the life of Jesus? Jesus' birth, born of a virgin, God steps into human history. Jesus' miracles, there were 37 of them where God stepped in to get people's attention. Jesus' teaching, they were astonished by what he taught. God stepped in in his death, fulfillment of prophecy. God stepped in in his resurrection. Over 500 people were eyewitnesses of that which God had done. God stepped in. Early church, have you thought about it? Acts chapter 2, God steps in, and those in the congregation heard the word of the Lord proclaimed in their native tongues. Acts chapter 3, a beggar is healed because God stepped in. Acts chapter 9, Saul is blinded. God stepped in. 
Acts chapter 12, Peter's released from jail when God stepped in. And in Acts chapter 27, Paul is involved in a shipwreck where God says everything's going to perish, but none of those on board are going to lose their lives. God stepped in, and he found himself on the island of Malta. And then Paul went to Rome to proclaim the good news of the gospel. God stepped in. God steps into our lives to fulfill his purpose and his plan. Now back to our text. Most of us recognize how God stepped in as he made a great fish. But there are so many other ways that God stepped in that I want us to just take note this morning. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was threatened to break up. God stepped in when he hurled, brought a great wind. Now, I think it's interesting as you study this passage, you recognize pretty much that that great wind was something of a malady. He hurled a great wind. It was a, mighty, it was a hurricane force wind. This wasn't just a little breeze that would catch the sails and that would help them travel. Did you notice what the author uses? God hurled a great wind. Think of a fastball from a fastball pitcher that's going 100 miles an hour coming at you, and you're supposed to swing and make contact. We, we call those people hurlers, right? That's what God did. He wound up and he threw a great wind. Hurricane force wind. So bad that the ship was about to break up. I enjoy boating. I enjoy boating on calm seas. I have never been on seas where the ship was about to break up. Nor do I want to be on seas where the ship is about to break up. God steps in and brings a great wind, hurls that wind, hurricane force wind that threatens the ship. This is God doing. But not only did God step up and bring a great wind, God unnerved the sailors. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Then the mariners, these were seasoned sailors, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo, same word, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, that's to Jonah who was asleep, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. God steps in and unnerves the sailors. Now that unnerved is only used there because I needed it for the acrostic. 
because this was way beyond unnerving. They were terrified. They were quaking in their boots. They didn't know what to do. Did you notice what the captain says? When he wakes Jonah, he says, call your God and maybe your God will tell us what to do because we don't know what to do. We're going to die here. I think it's important that we recognize that each one of these sailors cried out to his God, whoever that God was, because they recognized that what was happening to them was beyond their experience, was beyond their expertise, was beyond their ability to cope with. When you get to that place in your life, you're going to cry out to God. I'm reading a book right now that is called A Brief History on World War II. I picked it up and noticed that it had 450 pages, yet it's a brief history on World War II. But during World War II and during many wars, there's what has been called foxhole conversions. You know what that means? That means when a soldier is beyond his own ability and has no other course of action, he calls out to God and says, God, you got to do something here because I can't. But God, a nerve terrified the sailors who cried out to God and said, Lord, this is beyond anything we can do. There's no better place to turn, right? And what did they do? Back up to verse 5. They hurled the cargo into the, into the sea to lighten it. They didn't know what else to do. Let's get rid of all this stuff that's paying the, paying the freight here. I mean, you're desperate when you're throwing overboard your livelihood. Maybe we ought to get a little more desperate in our lives. But God. God also steps in and tells the sailors who is to blame. Now they're crying out to their God, whoever that God is. The captain goes down and says, sleeper awake, cry out to your God and maybe he'll tell us what to do. And so that, that prayer is answered in verse 7, and they said one to another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, casting lots, we, we think it's kind of like rolling the dice, that's not it. In Leviticus chapter 16, the priests were told to cast lots to determine which one of the goats would be the scapegoat and which one of the goats would be sacrificed. In Joshua chapter 18, lots were cast to determine who from the tribe should go and spy out the land.
In Nahum chapter 11, lots were cast to determine who would come back to Jerusalem and inhabit the city. And in Matthew chapter 27, lots were cast to find out who could have Jesus' clothing. So, so this casting of lots was determined to understand direction. And the sailors are casting lots. What shall we, we don't know what else to do, so we're going to ask God, we're going to cast lots. And the lot fell upon Jonah. Glory be. It happened. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Good questions. Let me see your passport. And he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah confesses. And all of a sudden, sailors understand who was to blame. Now, I've thought about that. I think Jonah's confession is interesting. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. That's good stuff, right? What would have taken place if Jonah had said, guys, I'm wrong. I got a word from the Lord. I'm trying to run from that word. Why don't we just turn around, go back to port, and I'll do what God told me to do? What do you think would have happened? I suspect they would have turned around, gone back to port, and Jonah been on his merry way, and he'd been fine. Jonah's still not willing to do what God wants him to do. What's it take? Jonah, what's God going to have to do to get your attention? what happened verse 11 they said to him what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us for the sea grew more and more tempestuous you didn't think it could get any worse it did verse 12 Jonah said to them pick me up hurl me into the sea there's that hurl again I don't think they made Jonah walk the plank They picked him up and gave him a toss as far away from the ship as they could. They hurled him. Then the sea will quiet down, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, <laughs> just like the world, right? That can't be right. That can't be plan A, as Pastor Spencer might say. 
There's got to be another avenue we can pursue here. Nevertheless, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Jehovah. Now, do you remember who they were calling out to to begin with? Their gods. Do you see who they're calling out to now? They are calling out to the God of heaven who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in it is. And they said, O Jehovah, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Jehovah, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. You understand what just happened? They hurled Jonah into the sea, and the sea stopped. God gave the sea rest. Stopped. That doesn't happen. That does not happen. Next time you're taking a bath with your rubber ducky, Go like this in the water and see how long it takes for the sea to stop after you've quit going like this. It doesn't happen. But God. Do you remember when Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat in Matthew chapter 8? The sea got a little boisterous. The disciples went to arouse him and said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? He got up, rebuked the wind and the sea, and it stopped. And they were amazed that even the winds and the sea obeyed him. Do you remember in John chapter 6 when he walked on the water? That's when Peter went out to meet him. He got into the boat, again rebuked the, the winds and the waves, and it stopped, and the text says immediately they were on dry ground. Poof! It doesn't happen. But God, God is able in all of our lives to fix it just like that if he wants to. Now, frankly, that's not how we learn some of our best lessons. But God could. He gave the sea rest. The sea ceased its raging. And the miracle that took place when God stepped in. God also opened the sailors' hearts to fear God. Verse 16, then the men feared the, the Lord, Jehovah, feared him exceedingly and offered sacrifices to Jehovah and made vows. 
were sailors. Seasoned naval men who all of a sudden opened their hearts and feared God. It had happened before. Remember when the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were caught, cast into the fiery furnace? Remember what happened when Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and saw four people, not three, walking around? Remember what he said? That fourth one's like the Son of God. Remember Darius? When Daniel was cast into the lion's den, Darius said to Daniel, O servant of the Most High God, was your God able to deliver you from the lions? Yep. When we recognize God working in our lives, we are then able to fear the right God. And what happened? God designed a great fish. Look at me at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's a lot of conjecture about what kind of fish this was. The largest fish we know are whales, and they're not really fish, they're mammals. But whatever it was, it was designed by God for a special purpose that God had intended. And it swallowed up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we'll talk about this next week, but I want you to start thinking how long those days were for Jonah. I've discovered that nighttime minutes are a whole lot longer than daytime minutes. If I'm awake at night, it's a lot longer than when I'm doing something during the day. Let me tell you, Jonah had three days and three nights of nighttime minutes. He didn't have a campfire. He didn't have a flashlight. He was in the belly of the fish. Now, I want to make an application here. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Will you please? Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to ask this question. What is God willing to do to get our attention? Let me give you three ways that God gets our attention. First of all, he loves us. Verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Now we think about that as a bad thing. But yet I want you to know that in Jonah's life, 
the fish was not punishment, but provision. The fish was not punishment, but provision. We can all quote Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Amen? Now, in the narrow context of Romans chapter 8, it has to do with suffering, and I get that. But I think there's a a larger narrative that we can apply. And that's this. God will do what's necessary to get our attention because He loves us so much. And he doesn't want us to miss out on the blessing that he has for us. And he works all these things together. Because we love him and he loves us. And nothing will ever separate us from his love. And that's Romans chapter 8 stuff. God loves us enough to get our attention. Number two. God learns us. Look with me at verse 11. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, here's the learning. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God learns us to fulfill righteousness, trains us to be holy before him so that we can experience his blessing in our lives. Amen? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts and your ignorance, but because he's called us to be holy, we are to be holy. And he learns us, he trains us in righteousness. And number three, God leads us. Verse 12, therefore, because he's loved us, because he's learned us, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Now that's a little tough. But here it is. God leads us to heal us and to bring us to completion so that we might be strengthened And we might understand the straightness of the direction he is taking us. We need to pursue his truth. God's intent is not to cripple us, but to heal us. God's intent, according to verse 15, is to help us see his grace not to grow bitterness. But God. Verse 1, and we're going to stop. Chapter 2. Then, then Jonah prayed. Cried out to the Lord, his And I want you back in Jonah chapter 2 to recognize his cry. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jehovah his God. Jonah 
knew where he needed to go after God got his attention. Jehovah is Elohim. In the beginning, God. He'd identified the creator, the one who made the sea and the dry land, the God of heaven, and now, finally, Jonah prays to Jehovah. Recognizing that was the only direction he could go. We'll talk about that next week. The reality is, folks, God will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention. The reality is, now the word of the Lord comes to all of us, or it should. And if we're not hearing, it's because we're not listening. And when God tells us what to do, we better do it. Otherwise, we face the possibility of God stepping in and getting our attention in a way that we can't miss it. Jonah couldn't miss it. He thought that when they threw him over, he was going to die, and that was going to be the end of it. But God prepared a fish. Now what's Jonah going to do? We'll talk about that next week.